KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. A look at this week's push to get people vaccinated and what you need to know. Experts have said that Delta variant is so contagious, the viral load is so high that if you're not vaccinated, Delta is going to find you. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Where you can get your ballot and what you need to know about voting in the recall election. In order to recall the governor, you have to have 50 percent plus one. You have to have a majority of the votes cast. And a look at what's happening on the San Diego art scene in your weekend preview with Julia Dixon-Evans. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. This pandemic is evolving by the day with constant changes in guidance and mandates as a more contagious variant spreads and mutates. This week, the push to get vaccinated grew stronger. California became the first state in the nation to implement vaccine requirements for teachers, as many students head back to school and hospitals saw a rise in cases. Joining me to talk about where we are in this pandemic is KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. Matt, welcome. Hey, Jade. You know, as we mentioned, within the last week, California implemented some vaccine requirements for teachers. Prior to that, it was healthcare workers. Talk to me about what these requirements and mandates are. All right. So starting with teachers, you know, it's not necessarily a, a vaccine requirement. They, you know, highly encouraging vaccinations. And basically what they're telling teachers is that, you know, you're going to have to show us proof of your vaccination or we're going to make you get tested regularly. And so that's supposed to encourage them to say, you know, I don't want to get these tests. Let's just go out, get vaccinated, protect the kids that are not vaccinated. And then for healthcare workers, they have a vaccine requirement. Basically, um, that goes, uh, that's at the end of September that has to be done by now. Um, the vaccine requirement, there are some exemptions. You can have a medical exemption or a religious exemption. I know some hospitals are still trying to figure out, you know, kind of where that goes. Um, Just, you know, food for thought in San Diego County, most systems are above 80%, 85% of having their whole staff vaccinated. So we're talking about small numbers of those who are still not vaccinated. And then another one for healthcare workers, um, similar to teachers, they're saying you're going to have to show us proof of vaccination, or we're going to have to test you regularly. What are the vaccination rates in San Diego County right now? So right now, we actually passed a milestone. We hit uh, more than 2 million San Diegans who are fully vaccinated. And keep in mind right now, you know, it's only available for those 12 and older. And, you know, uh, vaccinated with the first dose, we're talking 2.3 million San Diegans. Now, um, those numbers are still a little bit shy, at least the fully vaccinated from the county's goal. You know, they want 75% um, of the eligible population to be vaccinated. Right now, they're hovering just under, under under that about 73%. So a little bit ways to go to reach that, you know, quote unquote, herd immunity, which we really haven't been talking about a whole lot lately. Yeah, I mean, is herd immunity even possible with the Delta variant? 
you know, experts have said that the Delta variant is so contagious, the viral load is so high that if you're not vaccinated, that Delta is going to find you. And and so that there's some communities, you know, where herd immunity, it helps to have that wall of vaccination, you know, to, to keep the virus from spreading, but that there's some communities that aren't vaccinated or have much lower vaccination rates. Um, you know, a lot of experts say that that Delta variant is just going to spread. And we're sort of seeing, you know, cases rising here in San Diego, but also across the state. Talk about what prompted these changes. I mean, how... How is the Delta variant really changing previous guidance and recommendations? Right. So uh, CDPH, that's the state health department, they say that California is currently experiencing the fastest increase in COVID-19 cases during the entire pandemic, you know, with 22 new cases per 100,000 people per day. Uh, In San Diego County, we're about on par with that. You know, uh, just new numbers came out uh, for the last seven day average uh, with a little bit of a lag there, Um, you know, 21 and a half cases per 100,000 residents. Now, um, that's uh, in the, you know, in the flow chart, that's a big red X, you know, that's much, much higher than we're supposed to be. If we were still in the those, you know, color-coded tier charts, uh, we would probably be in the last tier. So that's why you're seeing, um, you know, some of these um, vaccination requirements, um, some of these masking requirements, like in schools, you know, they still have to wear masks uh, while the kids are present. Um, So that's why you're seeing some of this. What are hospitalizations like in the region? We're not anywhere near the numbers where we had the big winter surge. We're talking about December, January, February, when we had, you know, well over 1,500 San Diegans in the hospital at one time. And that's when, you know, they were on the brink of being overwhelmed. Um, But if you look back to just like a month ago, like we had the whole county wide talking about, you know, ICU admissions and just regular hospital beds. Uh, There was only about 100 people in the hospital in the whole county uh, with coronavirus. Um, And that's since gone up to uh, just a little over 500. Um, And the numbers are continuing to steadily increase. So uh, definitely a cause for concern. Uh, But I think why you're not seeing some of these masking mandates come back is that officials think that, you know, with so many San Diegans vaccinated, that 2 million number, um, that they're not necessarily afraid that the hospital systems will be overwhelmed. Now, I guess the big message coming out of this is that a lot of these um, are very preventable because the vaccines are here now um, in a mass form where they were not um, in the winter. You actually spoke with a nurse who said all of this is getting exhausting. What more did they have to say? Yeah, I spoke with a registered nurse over at Sharp. And yeah, she was saying, look, like these are preventable cases and burnout among healthcare workers is a very real thing. She's also happens to be the union vice president for them and says that she's hearing from a lot of people that they're just, you know, tired of seeing so many sick patients. Also keep in mind too, um, while some of the requirements in terms of like, if you're sick, you go to the hospital, some of that's been relaxed. It's still limited in terms of who can go to the hospital. So a lot of these healthcare workers are also having to act um, as sort of like extended family in terms of passing on information to family members who are sick. She also talked about having patients that still didn't think that this was real and trying to put them on ventilators or trying to help them with their breathing. And they're saying things like, this isn't real. I don't don't need to do this. It's going to go away, but it's not going to go away. And when you get to the hospital, you know, she made a really good point of saying, it's not like that these people could have stayed at home or feel like a broken leg. Maybe you go to the hospital, get it treated. These people are in the hospital because they're very, very sick and they need um, assistance, whether it be breathing or, or, or otherwise. I want to switch gears a bit and talk about kids. I mean, school is back for many. There's still no vaccine for children under 12. Is the county tracking COVID cases among children? Yeah, the county is tracking uh, COVID cases among children. And if you just look at like the county's full dashboard, I mean, uh, there's at least, I mean, I'm doing quick math here on the fly, about 50,000 cases among those ages 0 to 19 years old. Now, I know that there's some adults in there, you can say 18, 19. Um, but anecdotally, we've been hearing that the cases among younger people 
have been going up, but there are you know measures in place at schools, a lot of school districts that are reopening back for full in-person instruction. I touched on earlier, you know, there is that masking requirement um, when they're indoors, you know, when they go outdoors, they can take those masks off. A lot of schools have put in new air filters, so they're trying to do everything they can to get back to a pre-pandemic normal. I've been speaking with KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Jade, always a pleasure. California voters will soon be getting vote-by-mail ballots for the gubernatorial recall election, and Election Day itself is only about a month away. Statewide recall elections are pretty rare, so California Report host Saul Gonzalez thought it would be a good time to review some recall voting basics with California's top election official, Secretary of State Shirley Weber. She starts with what the recall ballot will look like. Well, on the recall ballot, you're going to see really just two questions. And the first question will be, do you want to recall of the governor of California, Governor Newsom? And that's a yes, no question. And then you answer a second question that says, if for some reason he is recalled, who would you choose as his replacement? And there are about 47 names for a replacement. And then you choose a replacement. And I was going to say, the, in order to recall the governor, you have to have 50% plus one. You have to have a majority of the votes cast. And if that, if there's 50% plus one, then uh, the second question really becomes extremely important because then that's to says who is going to replace him. And in that uh, case, you don't have to have a majority of the votes. You just have to have the most votes. So if the governor isn't recalled, if there's a less than 50% number for that first question, then the second question about a replacement is essentially moot. It's, it's a moot question at that point, yes, because uh, it, it has no meaning because we're not doing a recall. We're not going to remove the governor, yes. Do you have to vote on both ballot questions or can you do just one or the other? You don't have to vote on both questions. Whatever you vote on will be a valid ballot. In other words, if you choose, uh, if you choose to say yes or no uh, on number one but not pick a replacement, it's still a good ballot. If you don't pick yes or no on the first one and just choose a replacement, it's still whatever you mark on that ballot will be valid. And so uh, we're cur- we obviously encourage people to do both so that they can have some say in, in whether they want to recall or not. But equally important, if even if they vote no on recall, uh, they do want to have or should want to have some input into who basically replaces the government governor in case their vote, in case they lose it and, and actually the person is recalled. So uh, we encourage people to take do both. But whatever you do will count. And of course, I assume along with the mail-in ballots, people will still have plenty of other voting options when it comes to the recall election. Yes, uh, the legislature has has, has uh, decided in terms of its funding and support that we'll have an election similar to the election we had in November, where everyone gets a mail ballot, uh, because obviously we still want to um, keep people safe and, and not have to force everyone to go into the bo- uh and to the polling places to vote. But we'll also have ballot boxes like we had before. We'll have more days for voting. Some counties may have up to 11 days to vote because of the size of the counties. There'll be voting on, uh, there'll be voting centers uh, that'll be there. There'll be ballot boxes that will be available at, at uh, various locations and your registrar voter will have that information. So we, we saw a tremendous turnout in the last election in November, not just only because of the issues that were there, but because we made it very convenient for people to vote. It wasn't a, a high stake, one, one day or no day at all kind of concept. And, uh, and we realized that that really turns out the vote in almost in every state when you have those options available. 
And I know cost shouldn't be important when it comes to elections. Democracy is priceless after all. But let's do talk dollars and cents for a moment. How much approximately is this recall election going to cost the state of California? I think minimally it'll be about $276 million, okay, uh, a, a quarter, over a quarter billion dollars. It may go as high as three to $400 million, yes. It's extremely expensive. That was Secretary of State Shirley Weber speaking with California Report host Saul Gonzalez. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In the arts this weekend, La Jolla Playhouse presents an outdoor pop-up version of their inventive Without Walls Festival. Summerfest continues an art exhibit inspired by DNA forensics and some all-ages outdoor art fun. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to start with the art exhibit inspired by DNA forensics. That sounds pretty interesting. (laughs) Right. This is artist Melissa Walter, and I've been following her work for years now, and she's really creative, but at the same time, so grounded in the science side of her brain. She once worked as an illustrator for NASA and tends to create art that's really informed by science. It's not just like a little bit of science infused here and there. It just feels really fundamental to her art practice and also the message she wants to get across with her work. This exhibition is called The Smallest of Places and it's now on view at Oceanside Museum of Art. It's mostly paperworks, but she she zooms into several stages of DNA analysis in terms of forensic work. There's visual representations like in autoradiograms or phenotyping. There's nucleotide patterns and also a glimpse into the code in augmented intelligence used for DNA analysis. And from an artistic standpoint, she uses mark making in these works, so like blotches or, or marks of pigment in a sort of angry way. It's all really beautiful and really evocative. One of the things she said about this in her artist statement is that in forensics, there are real victims and there's just so much bias in the justice system. But DNA analysis is something, something really specific and that she can find a sort of faith in. Sounds very interesting. The Smallest of Places by Melissa Walter is now on view at Oceanside Museum of Art through November 7th. The museum is open to the public Thursday through Sunday afternoons. In the theater now, or should I say out of the theater, La Jolla Playhouse is bringing a pop-up version of their Without Walls Festival to Liberty Station this weekend. Tell us about the works they'll perform. Yeah, this pop-up WOW show has four works of interdisciplinary theater. So three of them are are like sit back in your seats and watch the performers sort of shows. I really hesitate to refer to them as traditional because this is without walls we're talking about. Nothing is really traditional. But the fourth project is something quite different. It's an immersive offstage experience from Optica Moderna. This is the performance company of David Reynoso that brought us those out-of-the-box digital programs called Portaleza. And this one is called Optica Pinata. 
And these are large scale mini performances happening every seven minutes. They're chock full of legends and myth and it's all really mysterious. It's intended for kids of all ages. And then those other three works are, we have one that's produced by Blindspot Collective called When the Bubble Bursts. And it's collected stories from local artists that are about this precise moment in history. There's also a work from San Diego Black Artist Collective that's a musical journey through the evolution of black music. And finally, Jessica Prudencio's work of dance theater called Can We Now? And this one's about the emergence of out of isolation. It supposedly has a dance flash mob involved. And these are all free with no reservations needed. You can just walk up and find a spot in the grass to sit. Pop-Up Wow takes place at Liberty Station's North Promenade Saturday at 1 and 5 p.m. and Sunday at noon and 3 p.m. Optica Pinata performances take place after the lawn productions finish. And the La Jolla Music Society Summer Fest continues this weekend. Tell us about what they're calling the Takeover Program on Sunday evening. They have asked contemporary composer Gabriella Lina Frank to curate a few takeovers throughout the festival. And this one, Sundays, is the first. It's held in the Black Box Theater space in the Conrad, so it has cabaret-style seating. And the program actually has a few compositions from Frank herself. There's selections from her Songs of Sufar and the Sweet Sea, which is inspired by Nicaraguan poet Pablo Antonio Cuadra and his stories of fishermen. It's a very operatic piece, as is also her El Mundo, which is from a work that translates to The Last Dream of Frida and Diego. So those are both choral works. And then there's plenty of brand new works, mostly all of them composed in the last couple of years by a bunch of Frank's contemporaries, including this string quartet piece, which is a co-commissioned by Frank herself. It's called Duplicity, and the composer is Anjana Swaminathan. It pairs South Indian classical music with other contemporary song cycles, and it's just really lovely. is lovely. Gabriella Lena Frank's takeover at Summerfest takes place Sunday at 7.30 p.m. at the Conrad in La Jolla. And finally, a make-it-yourself workshop for all ages using wire mesh. Tell us about this. This is a free all-ages outdoor workshop at Art Produce in North Park, and you don't have, even have to sign up. You can just drop in. This weekend's is led by artist Jennifer Vargas, who makes these incredible sculptures out of wire mesh. Imagine sort of twisting and pinching or layering the mesh in certain positions, and the way the light hits the denser parts differently is really incredible in her work. She's made sculptures into the shape of wings, for example. And Art Produce has been, they've been running these sessions, these workshops every Saturday throughout the summer, and there are just a few left. The Make It Yourself Workshop is Saturday from noon to 2 p.m. at Art Produce in North Park. 
For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Jade. Have a great weekend. You too. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.